Uh, this is actually an easy one, and it's a secluded spot in the trail. Really? Yeah. I mean, if it's well used and it's like you're slum dogging it, I can't concentrate, and you just want to. Maybe that scares it out. I don't really know, but well used beacons of light, I think, are just nasty. Whereas at least you're outside, you've got some fresh air, you can look around, you can take your time. I'm going outside. Hi, this is Travis. I'm a big ass runner from the Great Lakes state of Michigan. Welcome to the Big Ass Runner Podcast, where we entertain and encourage trail runners from all over the world. Now here's your host, the fantastic Jeff Harrell, and the musical compassion child, Stephen Pratt. Well, thank you, Travis. Travis knows us well, Stephen. Called me fantastic. I don't know about that, but you are a musical compassion child. Yes, I need to be sponsored by the Billboards 100, if that's even <laughs> still a thing, or maybe Casey Kasem could be my dad. I don't know. But yeah, thanks so much, Travis. That is awesome. And you nailed it. He is at, I think, Underdog Endurance is his Instagram handle. You should follow him because he runs a lot. He puts in a lot of miles. And he's out in Michigan, so it's always cool-looking pictures. Yeah, and he's a Garmin lover, which is great. And if you guys are on the Strava group, you can definitely find him at the top of the leaderboard. He's always up at the top five, six. Yeah, he's up there. Right. If you want to find Jeff and I, we're down at the bottom. So it's just, okay. Yeah, it's all right. So there we go. Well, welcome to the Big S Runner. My name is Jeff Harrell. And I'm Stephen Pritt. Stephen, this is episode number 43. It's the Richard Petty episode. Do you know who that is? I don't know, but he seems like he's kind of maybe a little petty. He's a little petty. He's actually the older petty. He's a NASCAR driver. Really? Yeah. So that's for all of our listeners out in the NASCAR areas of North Carolina. Is his son Texas and Walker Ranger? I'm Walker and I'm Texas Ranger. No, his son is Kyle Petty. Oh. I'm not really a NASCAR guy. I'm throwing out words like I know what I'm talking about. I really don't. Right. Well, Stephen, I'm very excited about episode number 43. We've got a couple of really great things. First of all, we're going to hear a tale from the trail that is going to blow you away. Yeah, I, I love these, Jeff. And, and this is, I think, a really special one. Um, so we're really excited to share this with all of our listeners. Yeah, we're not going to tell you what it is. You'll just have to wait. It's that good. Wow. And then secondly, we're going to do a little game. And I'm not going to tell you even what game we're going to play, Stephen. And we're going to tease that one a little bit as well. I love Twister. Podcast <laughs> Twister. This will be amazing. It'll be great for the listener. That's right. Podcast Twister. We're supposed to stretch. So, I mean, there we go. But before we get to that, Stephen, you know, we ask the big S runners out there to give us written reviews on Apple yeah. from time to time. And I was going out on Apple Podcasts the other day, and I noticed there is a bunch of new, awesome reviews. Well, thank you guys so much for doing that. I mean, genuinely, that really does help us. The data scientists try to explain to us how this all works, but Apple reviews, when you rate the podcast and you subscribe and then you write a review, that actually helps Apple share more information and then as they share more information more people get to know about the podcast and how it ranks so thank you guys so much i'm going to read a few of these Stephen, and none of these were related to oh really so <laughs> i can thank my mom for reviewing none those? of these are our parents or oh. our kids or our spouses these are actually real listeners so this first one is from Arson490. This one is fire. This one's really hot. This one's hot. The podcast for all runners is the title. And Arson says the segmented structure of the podcast is great. The content is even better. On top of that, there is great lighthearted humor placed into the mix. Whoa. Thank you. This next one is from 
Clark, parentheses, dying to self. Wow. With the headline, Bingeworthy. Wow. Clark says, I found the podcast by searching for a podcast for Clydesdale Runners. <laughs> what? That is awesome. I think that might be the only time somebody has searched that. <laughs> yes. Despite its name, however, the big ass runner is for trail runners and wannabe trail runners. It's not your typical trail running advice or technical information. Rather, it is like hanging out with some buddies who enjoy the trail as much as you do. Right. Well, they're definitely right. There's nothing technical about this podcast. No. But we do appreciate the fact that you guys feel like we're all sitting together in the same room or having a drink after a run or whatever. So that's awesome. 22 Meme 22 also gave us a five-star review. Says, so entertaining. I look forward to listening to the podcast every week. I love the variety of segments. Some are informational, some are inspiring, and some just funny. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. Another one, Stephen. From Apparel EFX, Best Running Podcast. We've got one from Sid Rye 13 that says, Great Running Podcast. I listen to this podcast on my long runs, educational, entertaining, and motivating. Wow. The another one, Stephen. There's three more that it, came in. Are these from Latvia? None of these are from Latvia. Um. 97 Racing says, I listen on Spotify, but I had to come over here on Apple to say thanks for the great content. If you're a fan of trail running or just want to learn some things, this podcast is for you. Highly recommend. Perfect timing, says Jen that runs. She says, I found the podcast when I needed the most. Absolutely love these guys. The content has me laughing, crying, and learning. Crying, hopefully, in a good way. I think they're probably crying at us. So maybe laughing at us. I don't know. And this last one is from Battery Star. And the title, Stephen, is I heart timmy time heart whoa timmy time's fan club is just now i know says i am so happy i found your podcast i really enjoy timmy time april 4th episode about ratios your voice to barry manilow a special reverberation (laughs) (laughs) i'm not a professional runner neither are we and i really enjoy the podcast featuring running peace right though there's a reason why they call it falsetto so it's not real (laughs) so so. false (laughs) Well, we really appreciate it, Stephen said, all the awesome reviews. Thank you guys so much for taking time to do that. Really appreciate that. And Stephen, with that, let's get going on episode number 43 of The Big Ass Runner. Well, Stephen, a couple of weeks ago, I was enthralled by following this 250-mile race. It's actually, I think, 257.8 miles called the Coca Dona 250, and I followed it all week. You know, we had a couple of friends that ran that race, uh, Jason and Greg, that are their local runners. And our friend Sadie had one of her best friends run that race as well. And because Sadie is... And we're big fans of hers, and she knows Courtney. She was able to actually get us a phone number for Courtney. And I'm excited to say now on the Big Ass Runner Hotline, we have Courtney Boyle. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Hey, Courtney. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you on the show. And first off, before we get started, congratulations. Seriously. Unbelievable. Running 250 miles. I think I was following along with Jeff. You know, you guys are starting out the bottom of Arizona and winding your way through like cities, not just like aid stations all the way up north. I mean, that is just incredible. So before we get into it, just congratulations. A lot of respect to you. And we're really excited for you. And 
honestly happy for you to have heard that you completed that. And I'm going to do a little humble brag, but out of people that were out there running, I think there were only, like you said, like maybe 20 to 24 females that actually even finished the race and you were one of them. And just want to say lots of mad respect to you and congratulations. What an accomplishment. Oh, well, thank you so, so much. I certainly had no idea what I was getting myself into when I started the race. (laughs) Well, that's a great question. What kind of came across? You said, you know what? I'd like to spend a week out in Arizona and run 250 miles. What was the thing that kind of said, okay, yeah, I want to do that? So actually, this was nowhere on my radar. Truthfully, I actually have a friend from Trail Sisters who she reached out to me last year and said, hey, so there's this crazy race. It's 250 (laughs) miles. And you are probably the only person I know who's crazy enough to sign up for this. That's awesome. And I looked at it and I just thought, wow, what an incredible way to see Arizona. The desert has a really special place for me in my heart. And Mm -hmm. so I just thought, okay, let's sign up for it. But the caveat was that prior to that, I had only ever run 100K. Wow. And so 250 miles is a big, big jump from 64 miles. And in the planning for it, you know, last year I was planning to do a 100-mile race. And then actually I was going to run Tahoe, but because of COVID, both of those races were canceled. Mm -hmm. And um, so then as this year came around, Cocodona wasn't canceled. So I really, really had no idea what to expect when I showed up on that, at that starting line at five o'clock in the morning on Monday. Well, before we jump into the actual race itself, I'd love to maybe take a step back and ask you a little bit about your background. You mentioned you'd only done 100K, but tell us a little bit about your running background, You know where you are. I think you're in the Colorado area. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I live in Denver, sort of the Lakewood Golden area, and I actually never considered myself a runner, frankly. I actually despised running growing up. I was a competitive mobile skier and lacrosse player. And the days where we had to do running or like running training or running conditioning were the days I dreaded the most of any day, frankly. So I never ever was a runner. I didn't really consider myself a runner. I did like a half marathon here and there just for the challenge, I think, Mm -hmm. as an adult. But then honestly, two years ago in 2018, my seven and a half year old son died suddenly from respiratory virus. Mm. And when that happened, I just didn't know what to do with myself. Sort of my world came crashing down. And somehow in the healing process, I found running. And it became the place that I would go to just to find solace, to frankly, like, connect with my son. And so in the past two years, I've gone from basically not being a runner mm-hmm. to doing a whole heck of a lot of running. Right. Well, Courtney, man, that's an amazing why and very sorry to hear about that. I guess a question for you is what about running made that special or what did you find why running or what about running, you know, led you to finding things? I'm just kind of curious from not being a runner to transitioning to runner, obviously after that, what did you find in running or how did that help? I think like since I was a kid, you know, being in nature and being in the mountains has always really nourished my soul. Mm-hmm. And running, specifically trail running, is a place where we always talk about how it's sort of dental floss for the soul, you know, it just clears out everything that's blocking. It just makes things feel like they make sense. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, is that running for me is this place where I'm doing nothing and something all at the same time. So... 
I can't really be anywhere else but where I am when I'm running. And so it just sort of simplifies things. And, you know, I think also there's this notion of going through hard things when I'm running. So mm-hmm. like, especially with Cocodona, which we'll get back to, but especially like with a race like that, things change, you know, I walk through really hard times, really big physical challenges, right? And I just had to keep moving. And that's sort of a parallel process with grief. And I think that that's kind of why running has worked so well for me in this process of healing. Yeah, we had Dr. Kevin Gill land on a couple episodes in a row. And he he talked a lot about that, that Mm -hmm. movement is medicine. And there's something, like you said, Courtney, about the trails that engages your mind in a way that other exercises don't. I think it's you're in nature, it's technical, so your mind is active. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot of healing that happens. So thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah, it really is remarkable. I honestly don't know where I'd be without running right now. Yeah. And out of that, Courtney, it sounds like that you also found Trail Sisters, right? Tell us a little bit about that in terms of people I think on the show know what Trail Sisters is, but how did that come into play and what did you find with that community? Trail Sisters is not a community that I found on my own. My dear friend, who I like to call my hiking partner for life, (laughs) she and I were hiking counselors together at a summer camp. We actually met when we were 14 and we were campers there. And then we were hiking counselors together. She reached out to me and just said, hey, I'm going to go to this running retreat. Do you want to come? And I said, well, okay, that sounds like a great idea. So it was a Trail Sisters retreat in Boulder. And it was the same retreat that Sadie was on. And that's actually how we met. And in that retreat, I found Sadie, who's one of now my best friends, but really this community of women who are interested in trail running, you know, with all different backgrounds. And it was just really, really neat to be out there on the trails and just sharing time with people. And I'll say too, that relates to all of the races that I've done as well is yes, it's about the race, but I will say that at the end of the day, I look back and I'm always just amazed that it's actually about the people and the community and the this shared experience that we have out there on the trails. Yeah, no, that's so good. I think that's one of the benefits like you were just talking about a second ago. There's so many benefits of that. But I think we found that doing this podcast, we obviously find it when we're out on the trails and even races. It's amazing how you can see somebody mm-hmm. you have no idea you've never met before, probably doesn't even look like you at all. Mm-hmm. And yet there's this instant bond and in kind of knowing that you're all out there doing something hard. And there's that mutual respect that, you know, sometimes you don't see them in the rest of parts of the world. So it, it is kind of a special place for that. You know, what's, what's interesting is we've never met Sadie in person. <laughs> right. We've talked to her you know, on the podcast and we've, we've talked to her a couple of times on Zoom calls and things. But we feel like we know Sadie. So like there's just a bond there. It's just so interesting how trail running and like you said, Courtney, these shared experiences really bring people together. So it's super cool. Well, and you know, last weekend we were out there. She was doing a donkey race, which yeah. was so fun last weekend. Yeah. Well, as big ass runners, we love donkey races. When you say we feel like family, we literally felt like family. <laughs> That's right. Uh-huh. Well, she was out there with her big ass trail runner hat on. Yeah, yes, so. she represents. We always Perfect. appreciate that as well. Well, let's start to go back towards the race. And mm-hmm. I'm, I think one of the things I'm curious about. Lots of things, but one of the first ones Mm -hmm. kind of go chronological. How do you train for a 257.8 mile race? That's a really good question that I don't have an answer for because that's why I have a running coach. 
I honestly have a very busy schedule. So I'm not a professional runner. I mean, most of us aren't. I have a job, I have a family, and I actually coach mobile skiing during the winter. So I asked my running coach, hey, I trust her immensely. And I just said, okay, I'm going to do this race. I need like the plan that has the most efficient way to get to 250 miles to be able to run 250 miles with the least amount of training hours. And so she put together a plan and I followed it as simple as that, which it did require running. You know, I ran probably (laughs) five to six days a week. I actually did have to run. But I would say that my longest training run was probably 22 to 26 miles. And then one weekend I had three long runs in a row. But outside of that, it actually was not really crazy training. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Do you feel like that the plan, I guess, so to speak, held up for you? Like when you were, I'm sure there's lots of feelings you probably had, but in terms of like Mm -hmm. best possible physical condition, do you feel like it stood up for you? Yeah, I think I also had the benefit of, you know, I'm a ski coach. So that requires me to have some level of sort of like extreme conditions training, you know, like extreme cold, like weather. Mm Mm-hmm. And also, I spent a lot of time hiking out there. So a lot of like vertical, just like hiking up and down the mountain. So I had the benefit of that. And I would say that combined with the running did really put me in a good position, especially also because I'm at elevation, right? So that helped as well. And truthfully, I will say that the race itself was mostly a mental challenge Mm. you know having the space is important but at the end of the day the digging deep really was about like what was in my head and my heart right well one of the things i want to point out too and you mentioned your coach i think it's important when we don't have the knowledge or you know the experience to be able to have someone that you trust that does to help you you know overcome an obstacle like this so I know we've got a lot of running coaches that listen to the show. We just appreciate them for their knowledge and expertise, but more than anything else, they love serving the everyday runner. Just like you mentioned, Courtney, that your coach served you and giving you the knowledge that you needed to make it through 250 miles. Absolutely. I learned to trust her wholeheartedly through this process because before, you know, as an ultra runner, I always like to add on a little bit more to the plan. It seems like, (laughs) you know, the mileage is a little light, but now I learned just trust, trust the process, trust the process. And when there's a rest day, there's a lot of reason for that rest day. Right. And where that rest day is placed in the training. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I used to move mine around and they're like, stop doing that. I was like, okay, you're probably right. But I'm like, but I really enjoy the speed workouts, you know? And they're like, no, like stop, stop moving stuff around. So I confess that I have an issue with that. So well, Courtney, I'm curious the the night before the race starts, the race starts, I think at 5am on Monday morning, the night before what's going through your mind? Honestly, sheer terror. I was really nervous. You know, I wondered if I was ready. I wondered if I was totally crazy. I wanted to make sure I was fueled and hydrated. So I definitely was focused on like nutrition and and drinking water and drinking pickle juice and all those things. But honestly, I was just really, really nervous. My daughter had said to me something. She had said, Mom, if you're out there and you feel like you're going to die, you need to keep moving. 
But if you're really going to die, you should probably stop. <laughs> that is amazing that, advice. <laughs> right? And that kept going through my head, honestly, over and over the night before. Um, you know, I think I questioned, like, am I ready? Did I do enough? Did I prepare enough? And I think also, you know, tapering for any race is difficult because if, if you guys are like me, if I'm not if I'm not running almost every day and if I'm running like three miles, I start to feel like or question, like, am I really a runner? Like, mm-hmm. can I really show up and do this thing? So, you know, there was lots of questions in my head. It's so interesting you say that. I think every race I've done, every trail race I've done, I had that exact same thought. It's <laughs> like, am I really a runner? Have I put in enough <laughs> effort. So, and I can imagine, I haven't had 250 ahead of me like you had, so I can certainly understand how you felt that way. Well, take us through, so you get up in the morning, you're going to tow the line, the gun goes off. I know they had a staggered start and all that. Mm -hmm. Those first few moments of the race, talk to us a little bit about that. So the first few moments of the race, they had a sign that said 255 miles to go. You've got this. And that was just this wow moment. <laughs> what am I doing? But the truth is, part of why I signed up for this race is the Sonoran Desert. So we started the race in Black Canyon. And so we got to start the race running through the Sonoran Desert, which is just really a magical and sacred place. So that really just nourished my soul, frankly. The first 11 miles were really easy miles. So I felt pretty good, actually, until the first aid station. It all felt pretty good. And I was just grateful to be on this journey. And I was honestly looking forward to the fact that I got to spend at that point, you know, I'm going to spend the next, what I thought would be three to four days running around Arizona. No, that's amazing. And yeah, I think it seems like when we hear stories like this, that people are, you know, like, okay, everything seems to be going good and right. And it's all aligning. As you started progressing, I mean, I eight stations, you know, I think most people are used to having eight stations, two or three, you know, maybe four miles apart. But I mean, how far apart were your eight stations? And were they consistent of just fueling and sleeping? Or I mean, what was your strategy between trying to get to each one of those? So the eight stations, there were actually 21 eight stations. So they were pretty decently spaced. The longest aid station was between that first one and the second one, which was so it was 22 miles. We had gotten word from Jamil Curry, who is one of the creators of the race from Aravipa. We had gotten word that for that section, we needed to have at least three and a half liters of water because there wasn't any water source and it was a steep climb and it was going to be hot. Mm-hmm. Leaving that first aid station, we got a lot of water. We headed out. And honestly, that was probably one of the hardest parts of the entire course because the sun was beating down. Pretty much every runner that I've talked to ran out of water Mm. and there was just a lot of carnage. I mean, it was really, really tough. So that section was tough. There were lots of sections that were tough, honestly. And I learned pretty quickly that all of my expectations around how to manage aid stations from what I learned in previous races how to manage like aid stations themselves and or the distances between aid stations. Like I sort of needed to throw everything out the window. And so I learned that in that second section. And Courtney, I was watching, they had live coverage on Aravipa's uh, website and 
I was watching it and I think it was that after that second section you just talked about where they were talking about running out of water and, and people were cussing out Jamil on the camera because of how difficult yeah. that section was. So can you let us know how much elevation, because my understanding was it was almost like a straight up climb in the heat, you know, like you said, and people running out of water felt like that was just an incredibly difficult stretch. I know you said he told you you needed water, but were you prepared for that level of difficulty? Because it sounded like from what people were talking about on camera, they were pretty surprised by that. We were all very surprised. Three and a half liters was not enough. I brought four and a half because I had heard that Jamil was planning to bring four. So I brought extra and I ran out really we needed like five to six liters. I think all said it was about maybe 14,000 of climbing. Good grief. In the first 50K, I want to say, it was really, really steep. And it was really hot. And for a while there, I felt okay because I had the expectation that this was going to be the hardest section of the course. However, when I ran out of water and ran out of food actually as well it sort of starts to feel a little bit demoralizing and the miles that tend to just sort of like you know you just move through the miles in an ultra it just starts to drag on and then you know there were people that were sitting and laying on the side of the course trying to just regroup themselves before heading on so there were people everywhere just laying around the course and as you finally got through that section are you thinking you're going to become one of those people laying on the side of the course? Or how are you <laughs> How are you specifically feeling? And what's your mindset at this point? Well, at the top of the climb, they brought some water there. So like about a mile before the next day station, they had brought in some water. So once we got water, everything felt like, okay, deep breath, like we can do this. And for me, I anticipated it being hard. I didn't anticipate running out of water or food. But also, you know, it's part of the challenge, right? It's just like sort of moving through whatever's coming. So after that, it was just about regrouping. And then it was a short distance between the next aid station and actually seeing our crews. So that is really a morale booster for me. Was that like, okay, I just need to get to this next section. And then I get to have a meal and see my crew and get set up for the evening. And I'm curious too, you said you thought you'd be out there about three days. We'll we'll get to how long you're actually out there here in a second. But I'm curious going into it, what was your sleep strategy? That is a really great question. I didn't have a great sleep strategy because I had never been in a race that was overnight. The 100K that I ran was actually Havelina. And so I finished that in 13 hours. And I knew that sleep would be a challenge for me. I'm someone who loves sleep. I need a lot of sleep. And I may be a little bit ignorant. I went in thinking, okay, I'll figure it out as I go along. And that first night was really, really hard. I underestimated the challenge of running sleep deprived. And so that first night, I took my first trail nap on the side of the trail. Like legitimately, you know, I've seen pictures of people sleeping on the side of the trail, just like in all their gear and not really understanding how that happens or what it feels like. And I absolutely was that person <laughs> because the, the running and hiking when half asleep, that is not something I'd experienced. And there's just a point at which for me, I just could not move any further. And there was also that 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 section of the trail was also quite technical. 
So it felt for me a little bit unsafe to keep continuing on when I was so sleep deprived. And so I slept on the side of the trail. And then I also slept on the ground next to the fire at one of the aid stations. I just asked the volunteers, like, can you just wake me up in 30 minutes? And so I didn't really have a sleep strategy. I did learn really, really quickly that caffeine is my best friend (laughs) in a race like this. And that I also just totally changed my entire strategy to be one of how can I get the most sleep and make the cutoff time versus trying to do anything heroic in terms of finishing that in any sort of special place. Yeah, that sounds smart, actually. It sounds like you know your body well and how it's going to best work. And I would be the same way. I, I, I have to have sleep. I just, I don't know how I do sleep deprived, especially for that long of a period of time. So you get a little sleep that first night on the trail. Walk us through the next couple of days. How did that go? And were there any times where you're like, I don't know if I really want to do this anymore? Well, that first night actually really was a good test because I felt nauseated, I felt sleep deprived. And I just was like, what have I gotten myself into? I mean, at that point, it was only 100k in. I heard that some of the leaders, they ran the first 100k of Cocodona in the same time it took them to run their most recent 100 milers. So it was just kind of this new level of difficulty or just, you know, something that was totally unexpected for me. So there was a moment when I was thinking, like, what have I gotten myself into? But after that, I'll say, um, there, I didn't really have a question because I just, I just really knew that, you know, if, if I keep moving forward, like at the end of the day, that's all I have to do is just keep moving forward. And if I can do that, then I can finish this thing. I just have to put one foot in front of the other and just keep moving. And then my crew, because they figured out the whole sleep thing for me, that was my motivation. So between every aid station, we would just calculate, okay, Courtney, if you can keep this pace, then you can sleep for three hours. So that's actually how I ran between several of the aid stations. I would run just so I could like touch up time so I could get some extra sleep. And then it just kind of became not a game. It's just like that was the motivation. And I recognized that like if I could just keep moving forward, then I could finish this thing. Around, I would say also after Jerome, there was a section where I had to run at night by myself. And that section was really hard too because my watch died, which was my GPS. And also my light stopped working consistently. And so I was in basically the middle of the desert with this light that kept going off. And my GPS that I had come to rely on not working, so I had to look at my phone. And I just felt very, very alone and scared, frankly. And that was another moment where I really started to question, like, what am I doing? But once I I got to my crew, you know, like, they just let me, like, let it all out, you know, like, have that emotional, like, release. And then, like, okay, let's get back down to business. I'm curious, because this is 250 miles, and at the beginning, obviously, you're seeing people... But as you're getting into day two and day three, are you running a lot where you don't really see anyone else out on the course? It's interesting because there's like periods where you wouldn't see anyone. And then there's periods where you'd end up running slash hiking with a group of 10 people. So it just sort of depended. And then we'd leapfrog each other because like if I would pass someone on the course and then I would sweep, then they would leapfrog me and then I would leapfrog them. So 
it just kind of depended. It was really, really interesting. You end up seeing the same people over and over again. And going back to what we talked about, about community and connection, that was part of the best part of this experience was meeting these people out there and hearing some of their stories and also learning about why they're out there doing this 250-mile race. Any of those specific stories you'd like to share? Yeah, well, one woman that we met, her name is Carla Kent, and she actually is so inspiring because she's done bad water eight times and has done, you know, 200 milers and all of these ultras all over the world. And I kept joking with her that I want to be like her when I grow up. (laughs) And then there were like a handful of runners who do 200 milers every year. And people who are older than I am, who this is what they do. I mean, it was just so inspiring. And also, you know, we ran into this kid named Aaron who he's a through hiker. And I had never really heard about through hiking. But um, because of that experience, you know, he's just used to like just moving, just like you keep hiking, you just keep moving. And he signed up to do the Triple Crown this summer. So that's, you know, doing three 200 mile races. I think it's Tahoe, Bigfoot and Moab. And so then he decided to sign up to do Cocodona as his training run, which was just (laughs) mind blowing. (laughs) Golly. That that is insane. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so there are lots of amazing characters and it was really, really fun to connect with everyone on the trail. And especially at night, you know, there was one night where we were just walking on this road, this mountain road, what for what felt like forever. And we joked that it was the zombie death march, you know, because we're all just <laughs> tromping along on this road. And you can imagine, right, with our headlamp. And it was just, and everyone has poles, right? So that we can think of like the noise of like the poles and everyone walking and people are like falling asleep. So they're veering off of the road, right? Like sort of and people have to like veer them back. And it was just great though to share that time though, because we could share stories and get to know each other and just, to feel like you're on this journey with others is just really incredible. Yeah. Wow. Well, Courtney, what an amazing journey. I, I can't even imagine like all of the lessons that you were probably learning all about yourself and others. What was the main thing on those times where you're trying to make it to the next aid station slash sleep station or those kind of like, I guess maybe like darker moments where you're having to do exactly what you just said, push through, just make the next step. What was the main thing that was driving that? Was that something that you want to fulfillment? Was it trying to just finish it? Like what was your big why that was driving you behind all that? That's a great question too. I think number one is I talk a lot about how running for me really connects me to my son. And I said before I went on this race that I was going out there to find him. Mm -hmm. And I didn't find him actually. But what I did find was this voice from him saying to me, you know, mom, you have everything you need inside you. Mm. And I felt like digging into that, hearing that voice and feeling that so profoundly just gave me this extra strength of I have everything I need inside me. So when things got really hard, I just tapped into that of just feeling this sort of like source of power that each of us has inside of us. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, is that, you know, I've been doing a lot of work actually with Sadie. We're in a mastermind group and we've been digging into like, what's our why in life, right? And it sort of relates to our whys of why we do races. Right. And I really found that out there, 
my why really is about doing things that scare me, mm-hmm. you know, and also to help inspire others to do things that scare them because that's how I grow. And I think that's how a lot of us grow. And so I think that that was kind of pushing me as well is, okay, this place feels really hard. Mm-hmm. There was even a moment where I was legitimately screaming and crying like, ah, you know, you just <laughs> want to crawl out of your skin. Right. And sitting in that moment and just feeling like, okay, this is hard. This is really, really hard. And if I can push through this, then what else can I push through in life? Oh, right. So, so I think that that's really, those things are probably what I've tapped into most. Right. Thanks for sharing that. And that's amazing. I think you're right. You hear that trite phrase, there's more than you can do than you think you can, you know, or tap inside of you. But that's one thing to say that or to read it on Instagram, but like you, Mm. you lived it, you know, and you experienced it and you pushed through to actually have that experience where a few people probably in life get to try to do something that scares them and accomplish it and to do that. I have one more question for you. So in terms of, you know, obviously, uh, you could probably spend a whole other episode on lessons that you learned <laughs> for, about yourself or about others. A lot of the listeners we have, some of them are doing their first 50K. Some of them are just getting into trail runners. We were talking before, you know, Jeff and I are, and Tim are going to be doing our first 100K. But what advice, whatever is hard for somebody to start off with, whatever their ultra is going to be, what would you recommend to them? Or what are some things that you can, you would say, okay, hey, here are some things to keep in mind for whatever you're attempting to do next that that's hard? I think on the practical side of things, just trust your training, trust mm-hmm. the process to show up on the starting line. And they say like, hey, is in the barn, right? And right. it's totally true. <laughs> so I think there's that, just sort of trusting the process. That's something that I learned absolutely wholeheartedly through this race. That I would say also like have some sort of plan and hold that plan lightly though. So Mm -hmm. like, it was great to like have a plan in terms of like, you know, I had tested all my gear, which was great too. test the gear, but it's okay if not everything is like perfectly tested, right? So, So have some sort of plan with some gear that you trust. And then, but not hold too tightly to that plan. Be resilient and willing to just sort of go with the punches because things change in ultras, whether it's 30 miles or 100K or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's been my experience that things change. The other thing that's interesting and just kind of like hack is that aid stations have most of what you need. So like, I think getting into ultras, I always thought like I needed to have the right snacks and water and all of this. But as long as I carry enough to get from aid station to aid station, you know, the aid stations have so many amazing things, especially if it's a race put on by a group like Aravipa, you know, it has everything we need. Mm-hmm. So I would say that sort of use what the race provides. And then the last thing I would say is trust yourself. You can do hard things. And you can do things that scare you. I feel like I'm saying that as advice, but I really, that's something I tell myself Mm -hmm. is like, Courtney, you got this. (laughs) Like, trust yourself. You can do things that scare you. And I think that that's really, at the end of the day, the biggest thing is also that message that I heard out there is like, I have everything inside me. Mm. Courtney, I think my last question for you, as I said, I was glued to the computer watching people start to finish and you see people finishing. And I know at the very end, there's another really pretty hard climb. And then you come down off that climb headed towards the finish line. And I think my question for you is, 
What were the emotions like as you spot the finish line and you know you're, you're going to finish and you see your crew? Mm-hmm. Just walk me through some of those emotions. So that last climb is correct. So that was the highest elevation that we went to on the race. So we went up to about 9,200 in elevation. At the very end, it was like in the last 12 miles. It was super interesting. And I think it's also a because Jamil Curry, who created the race, he loves vert. So I kind of was like, oh, this is his last little vert for you at the end, <laughs> which was really interesting and fun. I mean, in its own kind of way. But yeah, coming down to the finish line, that feeling was indescribable. I mean, I probably will tear up as I talk about it because this is something that I never thought in my wildest dreams I would ever do. And then to go through sort of the range of emotions over what ended up being five days and to see actually my daughter was there. My seven-year-old daughter was there to meet me at the finish as well, Mm -hmm. um, to see her face. And frankly, just, I don't know, it was the most emotional thing I've walked through outside of losing my son, frankly. And this, but this is obviously an entirely different emotion. Just relief, relief that um, it was over. Also just like gratitude and joy and all of the feelings. I just, it's totally indescribable. It's probably, if not the, one of the top two best moments of my life. Wow, that's really amazing. And to hear that, I can only imagine the the gamut of what you've had to go through and then to have, I mean, I I can only imagine like every possible maybe human emotion that there is, you probably experienced at some point along that race and to then to come out, you know, victorious. And again, just to even be one of the top 20 to 24, you know, whatever finishers of that, it's just really incredible. So thank you so much for sharing that story with us. And again, just massive respect, but congratulations for you. And I'm sure you're a better version of Courtney having done that now. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say absolutely. And I would also say to your listeners, if anyone's considering doing it seriously, definitely get out there and do it. The most important piece of advice I would give for anyone who wants to do a race where there is a crew involved is pick people that you cherish. Because the truth of the matter is, there is no way I would have finished this race had it not been for my crew who are my two trail sisters for life, my trail and life partners, and who dropped everything in their lives to come support me in this race and who got me to the finish line. I love it. I love it. Courtney, thanks again so much for walking us through that. I felt the emotion as you're walking through your story, and I really appreciate your transparency and sharing what you went through. And I think you're going to inspire a lot of people. And I think you may see some people sign up for it. Well, Courtney, again, congratulations. What an amazing accomplishment. And thanks so much for sharing it with our listeners. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, you guys.
Well, Stephen, one of the things we love to do is to give shout outs and kudos to the big ass runners out there just making it happen. We have a really special one this week, don't we? Yeah. So, Jeff, this is somebody we've actually had on the podcast before, and it's Sadie May. And you can find her on Instagram at Sadie May Runs. And she, as you guys know, does a lot of work. She's a cross-country coach. She does a lot of races. She's a part of Trail Sister. She's a mom. She's a teacher. She does it all. But, Jeff, guess what? She did her first race with um, Burroughs this weekend. Burroughs? Yeah, this last weekend she ran her first race and she really had a good time. Well, her Burrow was named Abby and she and Abby did an amazing job at having their first race. And I think she finished um, 13th overall and fifth in her gender. And just really excited for her. I know she's been working with the donkeys for a long time and she puts up with us, obviously. So <laughs> hopefully... That's why she feels like family. Uh, yeah, it probably does. So we just want to say congratulations. An amazing job. And we're so happy that you had that opportunity to get out there. And congratulations. Way to go, Sadie. Well, Stephen, we're going to play a little game now at the end of this episode because when I was listening to Courtney's story, right, it made me think of a few things. It made me think of would I rather have the hardest part of a race at the beginning or the hardest part of the race at the end? Unfortunately for Courtney, she had the hardest part the whole time. <laughs> but the race was the hard part, right? So I thought we'd play a little game, and this is like, would you rather Trail Runner edition? Oh, I like that. I have got two girls, and they used to have books full of these questions, like Coke or Pepsi, or would you rather? So I think there's even a game off of this. So this this is this is is amazing. This isn't unique. No, well, I I I thought of it. it, This is brand new to the Big Ass Trail Runner, so this is going to be a great segment. Yes. And what I like about this segment is I want the listeners to play along. So if you're out there running, you're listening, you're Commuting, whatever you're doing, play along. See what you do. Just answer out loud while you're running and see what kind of looks you get as you're running. So if you you have an answer, just shout it out and just see what people do. I love it. I love it. And this is the first question. So, Stephen, would you rather have the toughest part of a race at the beginning of the race or at the very end? I'm going to throw a curveball at you, and I think I'd rather have it at the end. And here's, here's the reason why. I think if it's at the beginning, I might get too self-confident and think, okay, I can just handle the rest. And that may be not as hard where I think there's something about where you think that you're going to, okay, I can't go any further. When you have that extra challenge, it just pushes you over. I feel like there's a greater reward and feeling having accomplished that versus just having at the beginning. So I actually would prefer towards the end. What about you? I'm the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Bandera, the hardest part of Bandera is at the very end and I was hating it. I was hating (laughs) life. I think I'd rather go ahead and get it over with. Right. And then know that the rest is going to be a little bit easier and try not to get overconfident. I think that's a good point. Yeah. But I think I'd rather have the toughest part of the race at the beginning. And I'm fresher. Yeah. Although I may not be after I'm done (laughs) and there's still a lot left to go. Right. Interesting to see how our listeners would would go on that one. Okay. Number two here, Stephen, when running, would you rather have too many clothes or not enough clothes? Ooh, that's a tough question because here in Texas, it gets pretty hot. (laughs) I'm not saying I'm going to run around um, with no clothes on, but 
I would probably say I would actually like to have too many clothes on, but with the caveat that I could take them off. Okay. Yeah. We're opposite on this one too. Really? Yeah. I always like to be a little bit colder at the beginning because I know my Clydesdale body is going to warm up. Yeah. And so I usually start with fewer clothes than most people do and kind of work my way into it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, the big challenge is you guys know like when it's like fall outside and you're trying to question, should I go short sleeve or long sleeve? I always go long sleeve or I always will wear running tights when it's maybe not necessary just because I don't prefer to be super cold, you know, to begin with, but I like to roll up the sleeve. Well, I may know the answer to this next one, Stephen, Uh because you just answered it. Would you rather run in really cold temps or really hot temps? Mm. Actually, that's a good question. And I don't mean temps the shoe. I mean temperatures. Oh, because I'm kind of a Hoka person, so... I oh so extreme cold or extreme hot? Yep. I actually don't mind running in either, you know, because Texas have definitely taught me to run in like hundred degree temperatures. And then I used to run in St. Louis and it snowed a lot there. I don't know. I guess I would have to go with cold, actually. We're opposite on all three. <laughs> this is good. I, I feel know. Like, I feel like this is like therapy or getting to know you because I probably, I, I don't know. This is this is interesting now. I like hot because we grew up in, in Texas, but there's something about when you're running and you're sweating and uh-huh. you just, you just kind of embrace that. Right. Versus feeling like your hands are going to freeze off and you're worried about hypothermia. <laughs> I just rather go in hot. I, I don't mind cold either if you're prepared. Right. But if I had to choose, I'd go with hot. Really? Okay. Well, that makes sense. Speaking of hokas, would you rather run in shoes that are too big for you or too small for you? Definitely too big. I think there's some tricks you can do with laces that keep your heels in. But having run a 50K in shoes that were too small, and I didn't know that, Let's just say the toenails were non-existent after that. Adios. Yeah, exactly. And then like the top of my toes, I don't know if anybody ever, like when you run, you get like blisters on top of your toes, but mine were like black. I don't yeah. know what happened, but definitely way bigger. I mean, I don't want to like do Ronald McDonald's shoes. <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to be juggling and have a dancing bear around, but if they're a little bit bigger, I'm okay with that. Same on this one, Steve. What? Ding, yep. ding, 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 yep. ding. Too big is fine. You can, like you said, you can add some socks. You can tie it a certain way. Too small hurts the feet. Oh, it's brutal. Right. Now, I have to say one quick thing, though. If you're running on a track and you have track spikes or racing flats, you want those too small. Like, that's the only one I would go too small. You don't want those sliding around. No, not at all. This next one, Stephen, was handcrafted just for you. Nice. Would you rather have an aid station with just bowls of cilantro or just bowls of coconut shavings. Oh my gosh. Okay, so the reason why Jeff's saying this is I do not like either one of them, as you could probably guess. I think cilantro is a, a seasoning that is got bully issues. You put that into whatever you put that into, guacamole, salad, whatever the heck that is. Makes it delicious. No, it takes over and it bullies all the other food that's in there and it just wants to just pick on it. And then coconut, I you know, here here's the thing, Jeff. I don't mind the taste of coconut. I don't mind the smell of it. You know, if you're on the beach and somebody's got coconut suntan oil or lotion or whatever, but it just it's like the fur, it's like the hair of whatever it is, if it's a fruit, vegetable, or not. I have no idea what it is. But that's the whole point. If you don't know what it is, it's got fur on the outside and fur on the inside, and that it's the texture. So 
I don't know. I guess I'm not answering your question. I would just say I would keep on going and skip that aid station. Yeah, you know me. I love cilantro, coconut shavings. I think you said this. It resonated with me. It looks like toenail clippings. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like somebody like clipped their toenails in the bathroom and just left it there and put it in some <laughs> Almond Joy junk. I think a lot of people like the flavor of coconut but do not like the texture. I think that's a pretty common it's thing. It's nasty. It's nasty. Okay, Stephen, would you rather deposit a code brown <laughs> in a well-used beacon of light or on a secluded spot off the trail? This is a strategy question. Okay, can you repeat that one more time? Would you rather deposit a code brown? In other words, would you rather take a poo-poo, Stephen, right. in a very well-used beacon of light oh. or on a nice secluded spot off the trail Uh, this is actually an easy one and it's a secluded spot in the trail really yeah i mean if it's well used and it's like you're slum dogging it i can't concentrate and you just want to maybe that scares it out i don't really know but well used beacons of light i think are just nasty whereas at least you're outside you've got some fresh air you can look around you can take your time i'm going outside we're different on this one. I'm probably going to be in the minority. <laughs> wait, wait. I don't like, I just think people are, can see me when I'm out on the trail taking a code brown. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's okay though. That, it's not okay for me. <laughs> I would rather be in the confinement of the beacon of light, even if it's well used, just it, it can happen quickly. Uh, yeah. Things can happen quickly. It's a, t- it's a tough one. Uh, it's a tough one. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you're going to be in the minority. I'm not saying we should do an Instagram poll, but... I'm going to hear from uh, some people on that you, one. Yeah, definitely. Would you rather eat a giant pickle right before your run or a giant burrito? Giant burrito. Yeah. No, no hesitation on that one. I'm with you on that, too, because we've heard the story about the Big Papa, the giant pickle, even though you think... In theory, that you're, you know, it's going to help with cramping and all that. It helps with pooping. Yeah, apparently the pickle juice, but not the pickle. Yeah, yeah itself. Yeah, interested to see if we're in the minority on that one, though, Stephen. I think some people would say pickle. Well, when what, there's no bad time to have a burrito. That's the thing. I think there's some listeners out there who would totally Kelly agree with Kelly Thane would definitely agree with that one. Yeah. All right. Would you rather? This is a good one. Would you rather get free trail shoes for life? Uh huh. Or Free race registrations for life. Uh, race registrations. Really? Yeah. Because what's the thinking? Because I'm picky about my trail shoes, and I like to kind of mix them up every once in a while. I actually just recently, Jeff, bought some wild horses. I know. After you gave me a hard time about mine. Well, because they improved them and made them softer. So yeah, I think that way because there's there's always an adventure happening and waiting. So I would definitely go with free races. Okay, I think I would agree with you because that way I would want to run more races. Exactly. Okay, last one. All right, I'm ready. Lay it on me. Would you, this is a little, you have to think about this one a little bit. Would you rather run a marathon on a treadmill or a 50K on a track? A marathon on a treadmill. So 26.2 on a treadmill. Yeah. Or 31 point whatever on a track. This is an easy one, treadmill. Really? Here's the thing though. So I don't mind a track, 
but for however many laps that would be. Yeah, no, no, thank you. So at least with a treadmill, it's a shorter distance. You have some propulsion. You can watch TV. I can get in all my soaps. I mean, I, I don't like it, but I think it'd actually be easier and softer than the monotony of sitting around a track for that long. About two miles on a track, that's about all I can do. Give me the track. Really? Yeah. You know why? Because I like to put on a podcast yeah. like the Big Ass Runner. That's a great podcast. I've heard it's good. Yeah. And I can just follow the little line. I don't have to worry about falling off a treadmill and all the people around and getting distracted. And I'm always worried I'm going to fall off. Right. I don't have to worry about that with a track. That's a good point. Some of you guys know I do Orange Theory, and I have fallen off the treadmill twice. See, yeah, I've fallen off a lot of things there. Now that I think about it, worry about that. (laughs) That's that's a good point, Jeff. I still think I take take my chances, but yeah, I'll try to stand the treadmill. Well, we would love to hear from listeners out there if you've got differing opinions. What you would rather do on some of these? Would you rather? We'd love to hear from you. But Stephen, that is a first ever edition of Would You Rather Shrouding Edition. Well, Stephen, believe it or not, that is the end of episode number 43. Yeah, what a great episode that was. And we just want to say thank you for Courtney for coming on and sharing your story. Just really inspiring and so authentic and genuine. So thank you so much for for coming on the show and sharing that with all of our listeners. And thanks for Sadie for, first of all, introducing us to Courtney, but also for finishing her first bro race. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And Thanks, Travis, again for doing the introduction. It was awesome. And thanks for just nailing it. Really great job on that. Yeah, just a little teaser, Stephen. You want to hang around for the bloopers. You may oh. ha- you may hear Travis again. Oh, really? Okay. I can't wait to hear that part of it. Hey, before we go, though, I do want to mention I've been running a lot of mile. doing heart rate training, Stephen. Uh-huh. And I've been running around the track. And I started with this pair of shorts that has the built-in liners. Right. And got a rash. <gasps> what? I switched to the Path Project shorts. Remember we heard from Scott Bailey a few weeks ago about how the shorts separate from the liner is important? I will vouch for that because I am loving the Graves PX shorts with the Torch FX baseliner. So if you're doing a lot of running, a lot of training, go to pathprojects.com. They are great partners of ours and Mm -hmm. their shorts and their liners are incredible. Yeah, I do have to say we have a couple of their liners and the philosophy of having, you know, multiple liners for different activities that pair with the shorts is actually pretty unique. And to your point, it really does work. I'm, I'm a believer. After that rash, I'm a believer. <laughs> you are a rash convert. <laughs> well, with that, Jeff, we just want to say thanks for everybody for listening. We hope that you guys have a great week and enjoy running along with us. And until then, get out there, enjoy the trails and keep running your asses off. Hi, this is Travis, and I'm a big-ass runner from the Great Lakes state of Michigan. Welcome to the Big-Ass Runner Podcast, where we enter... Ah, Jacked it up. Welcome to the Big-Ass Runner Podcast, where we encourage and entertain... Ah, yeah, so that's for all of our listeners out in the NASCAR areas of North Carolina and Cocodona. Cocodona, that's a race. Steven, you get, you're getting the uh, computer computer out to sign up? Yeah, I think I, I need to finish this, the Spartan Beast race in the 100K, <laughs> and, then, and then we'll see if I'm still alive.
we're so happy that you had that opportunity to get out there and and congratulations what is that four times whatever it's a lot of it's a lot of it's uh 180 180 laughs or something yeah that's ridiculous (laughs) well steven that is the end of episode four i don't want to say that you you do you, you do your thing don't you yeah, Steve, take that part out. Not not my part, Steve, but your part, Steve. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance over. That's Clarence over. Over. Roger. Huh? Roger over. What?